Uh, Let's pray and ask God for his help. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to reflect on your word. We thank you that you speak through your word, and we pray that as we reflect on this psalm, that you will stir our hearts to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Recently, uh, I've been taking my two kids, uh, Rafi, who's four, and Cosette, who's two, uh, to the Oval to have a run around to, to get rid of their energy. And when we get tired... Uh, we'd lie on the nice green grass and just look into the night sky. Uh, we'd look at the stars twinkling brightly. Uh, we'd look at how the moon gives light so that we're not in total darkness. And I have to say, it's such a humbling experience. I can't begin to fathom the vastness of the universe. When I reflect and I consider how I'm in God's amazing creation that I'm on this field of of grass that's a part of a suburb, that's within a city, inside a state, that's a part of a country, that's a subsection of a continent, that's next to an ocean that makes up our planet, our planet Earth. When I reflect on this Earth, which next to the other planets around it forms a belt, that's a part of an interstellar cloud of objects, that's a part of a bubble that forms the Milky Way, the galaxy that we know. And this Milky Way with the other galaxies forms the supercluster web that in the end makes up our universe. When I consider this, it just blows my mind. And I can't help but feel like a drop in the ocean, like a crane of sand on the beach. When I consider the weight of infinity from the night sky, it makes me feel puny and insignificant. But more importantly, it gives me a chance to reflect and to consider God. It reminds me that I'm not the the center of the universe. It reminds me that I'm not the master of my fate, that I'm not the captain of my soul. It gives me a chance to put life into perspective again. And in the hustle and bustle of life, of work and family and kids and university, the busyness that life brings... Friends, sometimes it's good for us just to stop and consider God and our place in his world. And that's why Psalm 8 is so helpful. The psalm helps us to stop and reflect. The psalm gives us a proper perspective on who we are. The the psalm reminds us of who God is and our place in his world. Well, this psalm, it's a song of praise. Uh, The heading says... For the director of music, uh, according to Giddeth, a psalm of David. Uh, it's hard to, to really know what a Giddeth is. Maybe ask Jeff or Warren, maybe they will know. Um, scholars think it could be some kind of musical instrument or, or musical tone. Uh, maybe this is what the, the director of music used in leading the congregation in singing. But we can't really be sure. What we know is, is that David wrote the psalm. And he begins by praising God. Specifically, he praises God's name. The first Lord in capital letters that you see in verse 1, that's God's covenant name, Yahweh. Yahweh who saved his people Israel from the Egyptians. Yahweh who revealed his gracious and loving character to them. God's name shows who he is. It shows his reputation. And when David looks around at the world, when he reflects on who God is, 
No one compares. God's glory, God's majesty can be seen in all the earth. Uh, Not because people recognize who God is. Not because people acknowledge God's name. uh, Because we know that plenty of people don't even acknowledge God's existence. But David, he's reflecting on reality. He's reflecting on his own knowledge and experience of God. He knows God personally. For him, he knows that God is the most glorious and majestic one. Because God is the ultimate ruler of the whole earth. Not just over Israel. Uh, He's the ruler of all the other nations and their kings and leaders and rulers. Because God is the only true God. And his fingerprints can be seen in all the heavens and the earth. In fact, his, his glory is so great that it's above the heavens. Notice what it says. In, in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Well, here, God's glory is emphasized differently. As glorious as the heavens are, as glorious as the infinite universe is, God's glory, it, it's out of this world. It's, you can't even compare God's glory. It's in a totally different category. And this is what we're going to see as we read on in the psalm, how God's glory, his majesty... It's just out of this world. David's point is that God's glory can be seen in all his creation, from the depths of the earth to the heights of the heavens. Uh, look with me at Psalm 8 and verse 1. Psalm 8 and verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. God's glory, his majesty, it's so great. It's out of this world. And David, he can see evidence of this uh, when he looks at what God's done. And the first thing we notice is that God has silenced his enemies. His enemies are are those who set themselves up against him. Uh, Like in Psalm 2, uh, where the nations, the kings and rulers band together against God, thinking they have a chance against him. And what does God do in Psalm 2? He sits in heaven, on his throne, and he laughs at them. He scoffs at them. Well, here in Psalm 8, God uses the most helpless source of all to silence his enemies. Infants. Infants are weak. My experience with infants is that they can't do anything themselves. They need to be fed. They need to be cuddled. They need to be bathed. They need their nappies changed. They're completely dependent on their parents. But even though they're insignificant and weak, These infants, their cries are heard by God who is powerful. Even infants who recognize God's name can silence the powers of God's enemies. And so this way, the point is, God demonstrates his strength through them. Uh, Many scholars take the word to be praise in the NIV instead of the word strength. But, but, But I'm not sure about that because the word strength is the more literal translation. And in the context, it makes sense. God demonstrates his strength by silencing his enemies. And that's what you see in the Bible time and time again. That's the way God works. He doesn't choose the strong or the wise. No, he chooses the lowly to shame the wise. He chooses the weak to shame the strong. Like it says in verse 2. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. How is God's name glorious on the earth? Why is he so glorious and majestic? By the way, he has silenced his enemies. 
Well, David continues uh, to reflect on what God's done. And the second thing he reflects on is God's creation. Have you ever lied down and just considered the night sky? This is what David does. Maybe outside the balcony of his palace, he contemplates God's creation. The way God has created and ordered things. Uh, The way he has flung the, the stars and the moon into the sky. Intricately, with his fingers. It's interesting how David uses the language of God's fingers here. It's actually the only time in the Bible where God's fingers are mentioned. Usually it talks about God's hands or God's arms. But here, the point is that David reflects on the beauty and the artistry of God. It's like God intricately made everything with his fingers. You know, This didn't just happen by chance. But it's also showing us how powerful God is. You see, as big as the universe is, it's tiny compared to God. I mean, he uses his fingers to create the world. And in Genesis 1, that's what we see. We get an account of how God created the world. And it was a sheer demonstration of his power. He spoke and the world came into existence. David considers God and his care in forming the universe God is so great. His universe is limitless. His power, incomprehensible. But something bugs David. And the question he has is, why would a God like that, a God who creates the world with his fingers, preoccupy himself with me mortals? Why would God remember people? Why would God even care for people? You know, we know now that we're just a tiny speck orbiting a small, inconspicuous star among some hundred billion stars in an average galaxy among some hundred billion galaxies. In 1991, the Voyager 1 spacecraft took pictures of Earth from a record distance of around six billion kilometers. And in the photograph, Earth appears as a tiny, pale blue dot within the darkness of deep space. Earth is just a tiny dot, and God is mindful of us. We're like a speck of dust. God cares for us. God remembers us. God knows us by name. Really? It it just doesn't make any sense that human beings would have any significance or meaning to God. It doesn't make sense that God would care and remember us. Have a look with me from verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You see the rhetorical questions there. What is man that you are mindful of him? We're we're nothing. What is uh, the son of man that you care for him? We're, We're nothing. Compared to the universe that God has made with his fingers, we're nothing. So why does God care for us? Why is he mindful of us? Well, this is what we see in the next few verses. As insignificant as people are, God has made us with glory and honour. You see, humanity is God's prized possession. In God's creation of humanity, he saved the best for last. They were the climax of his creation. They were created in his image to be an earthly representative. David reflects on the fact that humanity 
were, just, were made just a little lower than the heavenly beings. Uh, the literal translation is actually God. We were made a little less than God because God is the ultimate master. And God has given humanity this special place in his world, this special responsibility to rule the world. When you think about this, what a privilege is it? This is amazing that God would, would make us and, and let alone think of us and give us the job of, of looking after his world in honour of him. And what's fascinating is that in such a short psalm, David spends two verses outlining the things put under man's feet. What's the point? Well, well, he wants us to reflect on what God's given us, on the dominion that God has given us. Look at all the things that God has put under man's feet. Everything that lives on the land, the air, in the sea, it's all-encompassing. All sorts of animals on the land, all the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, everything has been put under humanity's care. God has given such a great privilege to humanity. Have a look with me at verse 5. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. As glorious and majestic God is, he's actually given glory and honour to humanity and created them with the purpose of letting them rule over his creation. And when you think about that, isn't that a demonstration of God's majesty? Isn't that a demonstration that God's glory, God's genius is just out of this world? by choosing the weak of the world, like infants, to, to silence his enemies, uh, choosing humanity who are insignificant, who are but a tiny speck on this earth, to rule his world, creating us, giving us glory and honour. I mean, when you think about that, God is, is amazing. He's most glorious. He's the most majestic in the world. David reflects on this, and he can't help but praise God for who he is. And so again, he, he finishes the way he started. Praising God. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, can you see what Psalm 8's about? David reflects on who God is. He reflects on God's glorious name. The way God uses the weakness of infants to silence his enemies. The way God has created the world and given humanity this important place in his world. It's, it's such a great psalm, don't you reckon? It gives us a proper understanding of who we are. Uh, it gives us a proper understanding of our place in God's world. And when you think about the psalm, it's an amazing picture of God's creation. It's an amazing picture of God's care and purpose for humanity. But have you noticed something? There's a problem with this psalm. It almost seems too good to be true, don't you reckon? It's not David forgot about Genesis 3 when he was reflecting on Genesis 1. I mean, when you look at the world, when you look around at the world, you don't really see man in control like in Psalm 8, do you? You don't really see man ruling and caring over the world under God. 
No, what you see is humanity trying to be God, humanity trying to take the place of God. This is what we see in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. They reject God's authority. They want to do what's right for them. They want to decide what's right for them. These are the God's enemies in Psalm 2 who are kings and rulers who shake their fists at God in rebellion. This is us. This is all of us. This is what we've all done. You know that famous line in the Gospel of Luke that we often read out during Christmas time. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. Well, the 18th century English poet Charles Swinburne Uh, He wrote a hymn called The Hymn of Man. And in the poem, uh, he changed the words to Luke's gospel so that it reads, Glory to man in the highest, for man is the master of things. You see what Swinburne's saying? Glory to man in the highest, not not glory to God. Man deserves the greatest glory, not God. Because man is the master of all things. Man is the one who can think and create and innovate and decide. You see, this is, isn't this the height of man's pride? Thinking he's the master of all things, thinking, thinking he's the captain of his soul, thinking he's the measure of all things, that the things that are and the things that are not. So that in the end, humanity decides what's right and wrong. But you know how that goes? When we have a world where everyone thinks they know what's best without God, where everyone does what they want. You only have to turn on the TV for a bit or flick over the newspaper to, to see the tension, the hate, the, the violence that people have towards each other, the countries in conflict, in war. You see, as great as Swinburne thinks humanity is, as great as he thought he was, it, it's hard not to see that we've made a mess of the world that God has given us. We, we've totally messed up the privilege that we were given. Uh, Because of human impact, uh, a report by the World Wildlife Fund has shown that since 1970, the world's animals have dropped by around 52%. Uh, About 100,000 species go extinct every year. See, we've hunted and poisoned our animals. Dirty water causes the death of a human being every 10 seconds. Around 3.5 million people die from water-related diseases. You see, we've mismanaged the world that God's given us at an astronomical level. Compared to the picture that we see in Psalm 8, when we look at the world around us, it's a disaster. And it's because of us. But do you know what? God wasn't taken by surprise. There's hope. There's hope for us to get back to the ideal picture of Psalm 8. And in God's genius, in God's glory, God did the unthinkable. And you know the solution. In his love for insignificant humanity, who would have thought that God himself would come in flesh, in weakness as a human, in weakness as an infant lying in a manger? We know who that is. Jesus Jesus, who who never set himself up against God. Jesus, who lived perfectly under God's rule and who shows us what humanity should have been like. And this is what we see in the New Testament when when the author of Hebrews picks up on Psalm 8 and reflects on it. 
Testament. Look at what he says, Hebrews 2, Hebrews 2 and verse 6. But there is a place where someone has testified. And this is where the author quotes from Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. Of course, this is what we know, right? When we look around, we're not in control. We're unfit to rule now. This is what the author sees as well. But he goes on in telling us what this, about the solution in Jesus, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Uh, there's a lot going on in this passage, but the point is, Jesus lived on this earth. Jesus lived on this earth, this earth which is but a pale blue dot from space. This earth which is filled with corruption, sickness and death. This condemned world. And Jesus humbled himself. He died on the cross. And he, when he was on that cross, he was mindful of us. He remembered us. Why? So that he could taste death for everyone. And now he's been crowned with glory and honor, seated at God's right hand in heaven, where he invites everyone to sit under his rule. Because you see, friends, Psalm 8 tells us that we've messed up big time. We've messed up the ideal. We have committed the ultimate rebellion against God. And even though in the vastness of the universe, we are so insignificant. We are but a tiny blue dot. God is mindful of us. God, he, God remembers us to the extent that he gave us Jesus to die for our sins. I mean, how comforting is this? As puny as you are, you are known by the God of this universe. You're not an accident here by chance with no meaning and purpose. And you know what? This psalm teaches us that we can't actually understand humanity. We can't actually understand who we are until we put Jesus in his rightful place as our Lord and Saviour. And when Jesus comes back, everything will be subject to him. Everyone will bow down to the name of Jesus. And friends, we will rule with Jesus. We will fulfill the ideal of Psalm 8 with glory and honour as it was meant to be. I love this psalm. It gives us a chance to sit back in the field under the night sky and consider God, so to speak. It helps us to, to, to consider who we are as God's creation. And next time, when I'm lying down with my kids under the night sky, I'm going to remind them of Jesus, our Saviour. Jesus, who tasted death so that we could be saved from death. And when you think about how much more we know now compared to David, about God's amazing universe that we can't even begin to fathom. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? I mean, that verse just takes on a whole new level for us, doesn't it? There's no way David could have dreamed about this, that God would give up his son for us, that God would come in human weakness, that we don't just call him Yahweh, we call him Father now, that we are made his sons and daughters. Friends, how much more should we praise God? Because his glory, his majesty, it's just out of this world. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you.
for your love for us in creating us and redeeming us through Jesus who came as a weak human being, who lived perfectly under your rule, who died on the cross and tasted death for everyone. Our Lord, help us to put Jesus in his rightful place as our Lord and Saviour. We want to thank you for the privilege it is, not, not just to care for the world that you have given us, but the chance and privilege we have in following Jesus, the Prince of Glory who died for us, who was mine for us on that cross. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.